Today's passage comes from uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them are righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. You may be seated. Good morning. Real quick, before I forget, I do want to announce there will be a brief deacon meeting after service this morning in my office, a brief deacon meeting. So today we're talking about joy, the the last theme before the theme of Christ uh, in Advent. And joy is a a special thing to me for a few reasons. Um, There is a passage. It is my wife's favorite Bible passage that, that just... I don't know, it, it captures us a little bit, it, it, uh, it encourages us, and it's about joy. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And I think we've got a slide for it. It might show up behind me at some point. That's all right. Philippians 4, 4 reads this way, Rejoice in the Lord always. Does anyone know how it finishes? Again, I say rejoice. I'm going to tell a story that some of you have heard before because I can't not tell that story. And it's Christmas time. It's a time when we all share stories over and over and over again, right? So uh, a number of years ago, my wife was um, just given some very bad news that the woman who had taken care of her when she was very little, uh, someone she called her Nana, had passed. And so we went to Orlando uh, for the funeral. And while we were in the funeral, uh, something precious happened. The preacher shared that her favorite Bible verse was Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And so uh, that was a special connection because Lisa hadn't known that. 
We came home, and, and as her birthday approached, I thought to myself, you know what? I've just decided I'm going to be the best husband that has ever lived. I'm going to give her a gift just so good that it will never be outdone by anyone anywhere. And so I went to the store in the mall called Things Remembered, and I, I was going to have them make a frame, right, with, with her verse on it at the top, and then the word rejoice at the bottom, and I was going to get pictures you know, of her and her nana inside it. So she would open this frame and just weep at how wonderful her husband is when she woke up for her birthday. So I'm on the way to the mall. I have an intern with me. His name was Ben Klaus, and he had some questions. He was dealing with some things and needed some wisdom about, about some things in his life. And so we were talking about the book of Proverbs, and we were talking as we went to the store. And I, I, I told the lady, you know, Proverbs 4.4, I put rejoice at the bottom. Yeah, some of you have gotten there early. <laughs> and so we, uh, uh, we get home, and I wrap that thing up. I put the pictures inside. It's beautiful that morning of her birthday. I just can't wait. I, like, I, I may have even woken her up early. Like, you need to open this gift. She opens it, and, uh, and the tears begin, right? And I'm just basking in the glory of being the best gift giver ever. Proverbs 4.4, rejoice. And she looks over at me, and she says, isn't it in Philippians? It's okay, it's not like my job is to know what book of the Bible certain verses are in or anything. <laughs> and so we looked up, of course, Proverbs 4.4, and I'm here to tell you I gave my wife a picture frame with a verse on it that says, keep my commands and you will live. <laughs> was not quite the great gift giver I had originally thought myself to be. Yeah, so we're talking about joy this morning. <laughs> talking about joy this morning. And so with uh, Advent being nearly over and Christmas almost here, I hope that joy is something that you're feeling a lot of. I hope that maybe that story helped you a little bit, if not. But I hope that joy is something that you're feeling a lot of because if we have a mindset that joy is the thing that happens when the, the busyness of Christmas is over, then we're doing Christmas wrong. Joy is an experience we are promised, we are given, that is available to us because of Jesus Christ. And so one question that comes up with joy is who is supposed to be joyful? Is joy a thing that we're supposed to have if our lives are easy, if things are going well, if we have reason to feel happy? Is that when we're supposed to be joyful? Well, yes, we should be joyful in those times. But I believe, and Scripture seems to say over and over again, that joy is something that Christians experience when things are good, when the sun is shining, and also when things are hard. In the midst of suffering, joy is present always. And I, I want to I say, if you're here this morning and you feel like that isn't you, you don't feel like joy is present to you. Perhaps it's a, it's a right now thing. Perhaps there's something going on in your life. And, and it's just hard to find that feeling of joy. Maybe you look around and you see other people and everyone else seems to have a smile on. Everyone else seems to have it together. Everyone else seems to be bubbling over with joy. And so you do the same. You smile and pretend. I want to tell you that if that's you... This message this morning is for you. 
Or maybe, maybe you're someone who feels like you don't deserve to have joy. Maybe you understand that Christians ought to have it, but you just, just there's something wrong or bad about you. And so you feel like you're an exception to that rule. If that's the case, I want to assure you, you're incorrect. And this sermon is for you. Joy is, is something that we experience when we remember the story that we're part of. You see, it's not about the, the externals, the, the situations that are happening in our lives today. It's about remembering the story that we're part of and remembering who the main character is. You see, we're in the midst of God's story, and he is the main character. Your part, your chapter, your portion of that story is all about him. And since no matter what you are experiencing, that story does not change. There is reason for joy. Advent's a great time to think about this. Because all these stories at the beginning of the book of Luke, all of them are about people discovering joy despite, not because of, their circumstances. And if you were to read through Luke chapters 1 and 2, you'd see that word joy over and over and over again, even in places and times that are surprising. And the reason is because no matter what is happening in our lives, we can find joy by turning to Jesus. That's the single sentence sermon summary this morning. If you're a note taker and you'd like to write something down, that's what I'd recommend. Then no matter what is happening in our lives, we can find joy by turning toward Jesus. Now, I want to I talk about a few people today. I want to introduce you to a few people today who learned that no matter what they lived through, no matter the reason or the hopelessness or the struggle, they learned that every single person can find joy when they turn to Jesus. So we're going to talk about Zechariah. This story is important to me. I'm going to Hope to remember to tell you why later. I know I'm not always good about remembering to tell you a thing. I'm going to say it. I'm going to tell you later. So if I forget, someone can stand up and wave their arms and remind me before I'm done. Way back in Ezekiel chapter 10, about 600 years before Zechariah went into the temple, the prophet Ezekiel saw a vision. I talked about this a few weeks ago. He saw a vision of the Spirit of the Lord leaving the temple. Shortly thereafter, Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, finishes his ministry, and God is silent for 400 years. He's been gone from the temple for six and silent for four. That is a very, very long time. In that time, God's people were conquered, they were liberated, they were conquered again. Their temple was destroyed and rebuilt they had revolts, and they had false messiahs, and they had war. But, as sometimes happens to us, after the consequences of their breaking the covenant, after the, the, the consequences of their bad behavior become apparent, God's people, in a way, get their act together. The priests are going into the temple twice a day, every day, to change and relight the incense that burns in the holy place. Now, you may remember when we went through the tabernacle and we talked about the altar of incense. It is this, this altar that was right next to the curtain of the Holy of Holies. That Holy of Holies was where God would dwell with the Ark of the Covenant. 
And this altar of incense, that it, was, it was continually burned, and the incense represented the prayers of God's people. The job of the priest was twice a day to go in and change the incense, to make sure that always it was burning, always the prayers of God's people were going up before him. Now, these priests, they're the first characters that really grab us and teach us something about joy in the book of Luke, because they've really done an amazing thing. There's about 18,000 of them, of priests at this point. And so they don't all show up at the temple twice a day, right? There's, they're, they're divided into groups, and then each group would draw lots, and if your name was chosen, you would go. But because there were so many, it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Many never got to do it. If you did, it was very unusual to go more than once. And here is Zechariah, very old. Maybe he's been in before, but when I read the story, I don't, I don't think so. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And what they have done is they have made this practice, this habit, this rhythm of going, putting their prayers up before God, and waiting for Him to respond. And if we're going to experience joy that is not connected to our circumstances, there's something from them that we need to learn this morning. We need to develop what they developed, a diligent and practiced attentiveness to the Lord. We're going to use those words again later, but a diligent and practiced attentiveness, a continual practice of of putting our prayers up before him and watching for him to be at work. And then there's Zechariah. You know, as Zechariah goes into the temple, have you you ever noticed what, what the angel says? Gabriel says, don't be afraid because Zechariah was terrified because angels don't, did not look like what they look like in paintings. They were not pretty and soft and small and cute. They were large and terrifying. And being in their presence frightened people. But after he says to Zechariah, don't be afraid, he says, your prayer has been heard. Remember, Zechariah is there to light the incense. And I just imagine Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're old and they're childless. And here Zechariah's name is called. And I imagine being him and, and stepping into the, to the temple, stepping into the holy place. And I imagine the way his heart must have been racing because as he walks up to the altar, right before him is the curtain, the curtain that a few decades from then would be torn from top to bottom because the presence of God was no longer separated from people. But in that moment, I imagine he looked at that curtain and had this incredible experience. God used to be right there. Could you imagine? God was right there. And then he, he lights the incense And I, I, I think as he, as he sees the smoke goes up, go up, he prays himself. The angel Gabriel tells us he did. What did he pray for? Well, I wonder if he thought of Abraham. Abraham was already an old man when he found out Sarah was going to be pregnant and give a baby. And I just wonder if one more time Zechariah 
lifts up that impossible prayer. God, please. I know it's impossible. I know we're too old, but please. You're the God that can do the impossible. And then, and then the angel appears and says, your prayer has been heard. You're going to have a child. Sometimes this is how joy comes to us. Sometimes this is what the experience of joy is like. We pray and we pray and we wait and we wait and we hurt and we long and we suffer without the desire of our heart. And then at some point, sometimes when it seems like all hope is lost, God will give us the answer we've asked for. Sometimes that happens. And when it does, our joy should not be the blessing that we're given. I think that Zechariah and Elizabeth knew this. I don't think they had any question that the, the cause, the purpose of their joy was the Lord. Of course, the blessing was wonderful. I believe the blessing was very wonderful. They were so excited to be parents. I imagine after Zechariah struck dumb and not able to speak, he ran out of that temple. Could you imagine You've just been told you're going to have a baby in old age and, and you run out excited and all the priests are wondering what happened and he can't tell them. Like the, the irony of that is just overwhelming. And he goes home and he has, he has someone that will be overjoyed at the news he has for her. Sometimes joy comes like that, but when it does, we're called to remember That the blessings, the things, the relationships, the stuff we have are not the, the source or the cause of that joy that exists outside of our circumstances. That joy comes from the Lord. And I don't think that Zechariah and Elizabeth forgot that because a few months later, Mary visits. And there is Elizabeth, I imagine, excited and joyful. But her baby recognizes the source of all joy inside Mary's womb and leaps. Even in the midst of an overwhelming blessing, the source of joy can't be that. It must remain. Our hearts must remain connected to, set on the Lord. If we look carefully, we see a thread like this all the way through the Advent stories of a person who does not have the desire of their heart. And it, sometimes this is how it ends, a blessing. And at other times we don't see that. We see joy coming despite that prayer never being answered. The Advent stories, we, when we look at them, we see a young woman of noble character who lays down her own hopes and dreams and her reputation and says yes to God. And we see a man, a good man, with a clear picture of what being a husband and a father is going to be like. And that dream, that vision of the life he was going to have is broken by a scandal and a visit from an angel. We see shepherds who live in a people who are outcasts and impoverished and the shepherds themselves among an outcast and impoverished people are particularly outcast and impoverished not living lives that they were hoping for and still being the ones whom God comes to speak to and they also find a source for joy we see an old man named Simeon at the end of his life 
who did not have the purpose he had when he was younger, seeing Jesus shortly after he's born. And then comes a woman named Anna, who's a prophet, who'd been a widow for 84 years in the temple, worshiping day and night. She sees Jesus and experiences joy. Her husband wasn't brought back from the dead. She didn't have all the things she'd asked for during those times. What she had was Jesus. And what she experienced was joy. It didn't come from what she had. It came from him. Now that sounds great. Joy is something that we're supposed to have in spite of circumstances, right? Doesn't that, doesn't that sound good? But how exactly does that work? Because if you just tell a person, be joyful, that's not actually usually very helpful. In fact, I encourage you to try it sometime if you don't. If you're looking for an argument, wait till a loved one's going through something difficult and just say, have you tried being joyful? Quoting James chapter 1 is a great thing to do when someone's having a hard day. You know, James says you're supposed to consider it joy when you're going through trials and suffering. Have you, have you tried that? Just telling a person to have joy doesn't do it. That is what Paul does in our passage, Philippians 4.4. 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. How do you do that? Well, this is personal for me in a couple of ways. This story, the Zechariah story, is interesting. The first time I ever preached on it was two years ago, and I wrote the sermon as Lisa and I were waiting for a pregnancy test. And we, got the, we found out that, that we'd lost our child a few days before I preached the sermon. I connect with Zechariah. The, the last three years have been a challenge for her and I as we've as we've experienced losses and struggles and difficulties. Some of you have had hard times too. When you look around at your life, you don't see a reason for joy. There's loved ones missing. There's hard times, financial stresses, real reason for struggle. And I want to tell you that even if that's not you, as you look around, if what you see is blessing upon blessing, that's wonderful. Almost certainly there will come a time when things are hard and joy doesn't feel abundant. How do you find joy then? Our joy comes from God. Scripture tells us that it's a gift that he gives us. It actually comes to us from him. And it's for him. Our joy is only really joy. It's only true joy when it's from and about and redirected back to God. Okay, how do we do that? Well, it's interesting. This word, this, this verse, rejoice, it's a, it's a command verse. It's imperative. Paul is telling us to do something. He, there's, a, there's, a, there's an expectation of action on our part. Joy isn't a thing that we can just expect to find on accident. We have to move. We have to act. We have to participate. Joy will come, but there's something required of us first. 
I want to tell you this. The reason, the reason joy doesn't depend on our circumstances is because our circumstances change. And it's based on, from, and for the one who does not change. You can think of it this way, God's sort of broadcasting joy. And what we have to do is we have to figure out how to tap into it. It's part of our maturing as Christians to learn how to connect. So how do we do that? Well, there's three practical steps I want to give you today to nurse a habit of lifelong joyfulness. These aren't things that I've mastered. This is not me standing up here telling you, well, you know what? Things are hard, but let me tell you, all I feel ever is joyfulness. That's not true. If you doubt that, you can ask Lisa. She's very patient with my lack of joyfulness with some frequency. What are the three practical steps? The first thing is this. We need attentiveness. You see, our our heart, our minds, our focus need to be on the Lord, and that is a thing that we nurse and nurture and develop. You don't just... You don't just get that on accident. It is something that comes easier for some than others, but it's the reason why we stand and we say things like, you need to be reading your Bibles. You need to be going to the Lord in prayer. It's the reason why church is important week after week. Am I just going to hear and sing the same songs? Clayton is going to talk for way too long. We're going to miss the game. We're not going to get to lunch till late. Is it important? The answer is yes. And I'm going to talk too long, but it's still important. And the reason for that is we have to develop an attentiveness to the Lord. We work on that. We nurture it. But it isn't isn't just that easy. We have to be diligent. We have to be diligent. You see, you'll develop these, these habits, these practices. And you'll do them for a little while. Maybe you can relate to this. I'm going to read my Bible every day. You make that commitment, and two weeks later, what has usually happened? Right? Some of you say, I'm still reading my Bible every day, and that's good. A lot of us get really frustrated with people like you because we have a hard time making that change. And so we try, and we fail, and we get discouraged. Diligence is that willingness to pick it up and try again. Maybe you need to do that this Christmas. Maybe the way you celebrate the birthday of Jesus before the family gets up is you need to get your Bible and you need to start on Christmas Day. Your habit of reading scripture every day again. Whatever the practices are, you need diligence. And then there's the practices. The holy habits. What does your devotional life look like? Do you want to know Why joy can be hard. Joy is hard when we allow ourselves to be disconnected from the source of our joy. When we forget to look for him or see him or experience him. It doesn't look the same for everyone. I know people that that struggle to, to have a daily practice of reading scripture. But you know what? They listen to sermons or podcasts or books or even music from the radio. Sometimes you experience him in different ways. Some people go and they get in green space. They go for a walk and they pray. Other people need to be in a group and pray together. Some people need to close a door and have no distractions. Whatever it is that you do, those practices are important. So it's a diligent, practiced 
attentiveness. And what you will find, I believe, Scripture tells me, the little bit of experience I have tells me, those Christians who have been Christians for longer than I have, the saints who seem to have that joyfulness despite their circumstances, have told me that this is the trick. We remember our Lord, no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter how difficult, no matter the struggle, no matter how discouraged or frustrated, no matter how much we don't understand, God, why can't you just give me the desire of my heart? No matter what we're experiencing, it's a diligent, practiced attentiveness that will keep us settled on focused on our Lord. It's not that the sadness goes away. It's not that the struggle goes away, but struggle and sadness, discouragement, they cause us to focus inward. And when we put our mind and our hearts on the Lord, we turn to him. The struggle is still there. Anna, who's been a, a prophetess for 84 years, she's not no longer sad. But what she sees when she sees Jesus is a reason for joy. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they didn't get their youth back. They didn't get to have many children as much as they wanted. What they, what they do have, though, is a reminder of a God who is never far away, who never leaves us alone, and who will always come to us. They have a reason for joy. Your life will change. Your circumstances will change. There, there are going to be good days and bad ones, good years and hard ones. But the one who never changes, the one who's always waiting for you, the one who says when you say, I don't deserve to be joyful, says, I look at you and I know you're worst better than you ever will. And I love you so much I moved to song. Zephaniah 3.17, if you struggle with, with feeling worthy, take that passage, underline it, circle it, read it a hundred times. He loves you so much, he's moved to song. We have a cause for joy. We have a Lord that loves us, that rescues, that comes, that's always near, who listens to our prayers moment after moment, a God who we don't have to hide from because he knows the best and the worst of us, and his love is absolute, never wavering, always present. There is a cause for joy. And so, as you think about Christmas this year. As you go out and do your shopping, starting today, because I know there are some of you who don't shop online, and you're starting today, oh my goodness, I have to buy my wife a gift, I've got, that's not me, I'm saying that's, that might be some of you. It's really not me. I, we, 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 uh, she, bought, she bought her gift this year, I'm not going to lie. So, uh, <laughs> we, uh, uh, Whatever circumstances you're in, as you think about Christmas, as you think about the approaching day of Jesus' of Jesus's birth, the day we remember him, my prayer is that you will go to God and you'll ask for that, that joyfulness that's not based on the good or the bad, that's not based on things going well because things will not always be doing so, but a joy that's based on a diligent and practiced attentiveness 
to our Lord. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings. We love you and we praise you. And God, we ask in the midst of a holiday season, a wonderful holiday season, that you allow us to be swept away with the good, the traditions, the practices, the food, the cookies, the songs, the family, the friends. But Lord, help us to remember that the cause, the source, and the object of our joy is you. You are the one from whom all good things come. You are the one who will never change, never leave, never forsake, and always love. You can be counted on even if the earth were to shake, even if every person became unfaithful, Lord, you are steady. You will always be faithful. Convict us when we need to be convicted. Encourage us when we need to be encouraged to let our hearts, our minds, our traditions all focus on you. And Lord, in those moments, we pray that you would give us an unending source of joy. Pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.